Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. The title for this morning's is part of the series, God Is. Okay, And this morning one is a fancy title, I must say. It's God Is Omniscient. I mean, how's that for a title? That is amazing. At first, I was going to have it as God is a know-it-all, but then I thought, no, maybe that isn't as catchy, but he is a know-it-all. God is the one person that we can say actually knows everything and knows it all inside and out. And the next 20 to 30 minutes is really just unpacking this God who knows everything. And that's what omniscient means. Now, the key thing with this omniscience of God who knows everything is we've got nothing to hide. Uh, he sees everything. He's been a part of everything. And we may think that we can keep some things hidden, but we can't. And hopefully some of these scriptures today will just emphasize and show you the truth of this. I grew up in a small town, often a town that I'm quite uh, embarrassed to say I grew up in. There are websites about this town, um, dedicated Facebook groups and a range of different things. And, yeah, the, 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 the picture will come up in a second. There we go. Um, so, yes, yeah, so if you are from this town, okay, if you are from this town and you're living in Cape Town, well done, you got out. Uh, if you are from this town and you're on holiday at the moment, I apologize in, in advance. Come and speak to me afterwards. We will pray together and God will set you free, okay? So... I grew up in this little town called Brakpan, or Brakpan, and that is a Brak, which is a dog that you find anywhere, lots of different breeds, and a Pan, and that's kind of how big the town is. So it's a small town, and that's the joy of being in a small town, is it's tiny. And the thing with small towns is kind of everybody knows everything. Who comes from a smallish town? Quite a few. Everybody knows everything. You can't hide things away. You can try as much as you want to. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And it ends up kind of the story of my life in that everybody knows everything. I remember when I was a kid, I was probably standard four, I would say 11 or so years old, and there was a tennis court at the police tennis courts, a little bit further away from my house. And in winter, they would cut the grass and the big grass and all sorts, and they'd pile up everything in the middle of the tennis court because the police didn't really use the tennis courts. I don't know if you've seen some policemen. They, I don't know why there were tennis courts, but anyway. But anyway, the tennis courts were there. In the middle of the tennis court was this massive pile of dry grass in winter. So as a boy that age, I thought it would be great to play with matches around this little, really big, story-high uh, pile of grass. And I didn't think it would catch a light that quickly. So... I was just playing and mixing. So I quickly run back home in my room. Nothing's happening. Everything's cool. And the weird thing is that somehow just people know, you know. So firstly, the small town knows, but also um, parents know. Not my dad, my, my mom knows. I could not hide anything from my mom, no matter how much I tried. She knew. And even today, I think there's still stuff, but she knows it, you know. And I remember I was sitting there in the room acting like completely normal, Fire brigade going past. Next thing, the policemen were knocking at each door, trying to figure out what's happened. Where did this start? Are you okay? 
And then my mom came to me and said, tell me the story now, you know. And yes, it was me. And we had to give a little confession to, well, she had to on my behalf to the police. But yeah, that was Brackpan. But there's a lot more about Brackpan. Small town, everything comes out. If you haven't heard about it, Brad's a GPS in Brackpan, okay? So very, very, very useful. Doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, there's a Jaguar in Brackpan. They're quite popular. Um, and that's the, generally the cup of cars you see in Brackpan on the next slide. It's like people go big. Now, I still have a lot of family on the East Rand, so does my wife Jennifer, and I was there for the first 13 years of my life, and then I moved to a man's Tody that we'll get to in a second, and we ended up getting married in Joburg. So I go back and visit old friends and that sort of thing, and my one friend who's heard all these rumors about Brackpan says to me, <clears throat> he says, I'm sure it's not that bad. So I said, no, it's not that bad, I'm warning him. And we're driving through the main road in the evening. This is truth. And there's a car similar to this, but much older, like really bare-bone basic, 10 o'clock at night, and people, the bonnet's open, and people are around looking at the engine with beers on the side of the road. It was, and then there was a wheelchair with a guy in the wheelchair asking for money. He had mags on his wheelchair. I'm not lying. I'm not lying. And I thought, man... On the way back, he's standing next to his wheelchair counting his money. So, it's a true story. So, I had interesting times growing up in this little town. So, if you're ever in Joburg, feel free to go there. But, 13 years old, I got vindicated. God set our family free and we ended up to a man's and toti. And I had this chance of like almost restarting my life, you know. So, we headed off in this Brackpan surfer. Um, headed off to... Toti to try and reinvent himself. Now, when I was in Brackpan, I was very shy, very to myself. I hung around in large groups of one. I, I was always on the, 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 the bullying end. And when I went to a man's and Toti, I thought, nah, I'm going to reinvent. I'm going to come. I'm going to be cool. Nobody knows my past. I'm going to go forward and change things. So I started surfing with a real surfboard and tried to reinvent everything. I remember the one time, as I was starting to get into groups with some friends and starting to surf and all of that, my mom was quite adamant that I had to surf only where the lifesavers are. And, you know, that's not that cool. You know, the way is better there. So I went and I was busy surfing with these friends, trying to impress, trying to build, trying to change, you know, everything. And the next thing we had backline, and I hear this whistle from the beach. And guys are like, who's this woman? So I'm like, there's my mom on the beach with a whistle. <laughs> my friends still talk about it. And I had to get out of the sea, and she marched me back home because I was surfing in the wrong spot. So from that day, I must say, I had to kind of reinvent myself again. And yeah, unfortunately, small towns are small towns. And Amanda Tate is also a small town. So 13 years happened, and then I came to Cape Town. <sighs> and in Cape Town, I got another five years to go. So we're good, we're good. So my 13-year spell of, of heading off into new towns. But that's the part with being a man's Tony. But in Cape Town, I realized that still God knows everything. Uh, 
similar to a small town, similar to our mothers, but so much more. I had the privilege of, when I came into Cape Town, on the next slide, I had the privilege of seeing this. So I don't know how many of you guys have been on trips two hours north of here, up the west coast, and you can go to a beautiful place called Cedarburg. And when we got here, this was one of the first places I ever went to uh, outside of the city. And I go there as often as I can. And we, Jen and myself, we've got this sort of process that as we get to a specific part on the road just before Algeria, if anybody's been there, we turn off everything and we get out the car and you just look up. And that's, that is a photo of the Cedarburg stars, not taken by me, don't have such a fancy camera, but that's it. It is phenomenal. And you realize, it's just two hours from here, you realize actually just, again, how small we are. Again, how big God is, because that's the picture. There's a hike that you can do there to the Maltese Cross, and that's the picture that you see. It's just, there's more stars than there is darkness. It actually almost looks like a contrast. We counted it the last time we were there a few months ago, and... We, we stood outside and literally every 20 minutes you would see a shooting star. It, it was unbelievable. But this constantly reminds me again of this omniscience of God, this God that knows everything. And Scripture unpacks it a lot about the stars. So in Isaiah it says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. So now you've got these millions. I remember when I was a kid, I used to try and take a photo of the stars. And then what I used to do is I used to try and count them. Like cross one out, cross one out, cross, because otherwise you'd get lost. And you never do it. But he knows them by name. And it says after this that not one of them goes missing without him knowing it. So uh, it's, it's incredible that this God that we serve knows every single star. And there are trillions. And he names them. Then, Psalm 147, it says, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Again, to great as our Lord and mighty in power, His understanding or His ability to know has no limit. It is infinite. It cannot be calculated. So God knows big. He knows everything. It's on a grand scale. And it's absolutely incredible that we're serving and we're worshiping this God that knows everything. Then the question is, Psalm 8, verses 3 to 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So now there's this bigness, but how is it that you're worried about me? I feel so insignificant compared to this. Do you even know who I am? And today we're going to go into a little bit of this, of how God knows us, Okay. And I'm going to be going through a lot of scripture, so I want to encourage you, take down the scriptures, go back into it, because this is a part of the character of God that is just incredible to explore. So as we go through them, um, just take the notes so you can read through some of them a bit later. And excuse me for a second, but there is a sticky spot on the stage. So if you do suddenly just see me doing that, that's the reason why. I'm not just trying to start a dance. So... This picture I took actually last night. Um, it's a sparrow's nest. 
and it's at our front door. Now, when we moved into our house two years ago, there was this daddy sparrow, I assume, and he was coming with twigs and trying to build this nest for his wife, I'm assuming. And, (laughs) shame, I felt so sorry for this poor bird, because he tried and he tried and he tried, but it was just never good enough. It was just, uh, and you heard the wife busy chirping on the wall there, saying (laughs) something, and she would break it down, they would try, and I thought, geez, these guys are just never going to give up, or they're going to give up at some point. And it was beautiful. It was about two months ago, I saw that this nest, I thought it wasn't built, but he finally gave up, or the, the, the wife said, okay, it's fine. Just. And she was sitting in there on eggs like two months ago, and it was just being beautiful, just to sit and watch these Cape Sparrows, and just, just, yeah, just to observe it. Eh? And Luke 12, verses 6 to 7, tells us a little bit about this. It says, are not, on the next slide, it says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And I'm just reminded that even these sparrows that are sitting there, God's thinking about them, you know. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. You know. So you look at this and say, even the sparrows, he knows their name, but for me, I'm worth more. And he knows me. He knows the number of hairs on my head. So do you know that we are born with about 100,000 scalp hair follicles, just to say, okay? And anybody has between 110 and 150,000 hairs on their head, okay, except for Wayne, okay? (laughs) He made it easy for God. So, uh, anyway, um, but... God knows the exact number of hairs on our head. That's how intricately he knows us. It's beautiful. Jeremiah 1 verses 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew. He doesn't just know our number of hairs now. Before we were even a thought in our parents' brains, ages ago, he knew us. He knew who we are. So if you're sitting here today and you stumbled into this church, it's not by chance. God's known you for a long time. For a very long time, for years before you were even born, he knew you. Job 34 verse 21, it says, For God's eyes are on the ways of man. He sees our every step. So he doesn't just know our hair, number of hair, different characteristics. He doesn't know us from the past, but he knows our every single step. Okay? It says in 2 Kings 19:27. I know not just your steps, but I know you're sitting down and you're going out, sorry, and you're coming in. So now just even today, how many times did you sit down and stand up? I don't know. (laughs) But God knows. Those little intricate details, he's even interested in that. And it says that, and I even know you're raging against me. So it's like, whoa, okay. So not just the good stuff. (laughs) God knows everything. Possibly some of the negative stuff. So, God knows the good about us. He knows the bad about us. And he knows the ugly about us. Now, I've actually never watched this movie. I need to watch it. But I think the way the pictures work out, that there's a guy that's good, a guy that's bad, and a guy that's ugly. I wouldn't want to be the guy that's bad and the guy that's ugly. And I think at times, we want to try to show God the good. And say, God, you know the good and the... But guess what? We've got the good, we've got the bad, we've got the ugly, all of us. 
and God knows every part. There's not a part that he's trying to look more. Actually, he knows everything. So today I'm really going to look at three, sorry, four key points of what God knows about us and then touch on how do we respond to that and what do we look at it. So Jeremiah 23 verses 24 says, Can a man uh, hide himself? Okay. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? We cannot hide from God. So we may have the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we try and hide the bad and the ugly because we're trying to impress, we're trying to be like a good Christian, we're trying to do all these things, but God sees it all. You know, It's a lot of effort for nothing because we can't hide ourselves from Him. Everything is open and laid before Him. So first step is that God knows my thoughts. That's the first point. He knows my thinking. So let's start off in the mind. It's an interesting space. And interesting, like right now, we've got, let's call it 250 people or whatever in the room. And it's said in a a, um, Huffington Post review that generally every day we will think 50 to 70,000 thoughts. And this is God knows our thoughts. <laughs> 70,000 thoughts, 2,500 to 3,500 per hour. So just in the service alone, there's around about a million thoughts in the next hour that are going to be happening here. God knows everyone. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And the scary thing with our thinking is we try and go through this process called filtering, and the good comes out and everything's fine, but inside there, it's, it's not always good. I'm honest, it's not good. There's some thoughts which are just like, am I really thinking that right now? And God knows. So God knows my thoughts. So it's sometimes easy to know some people's thoughts, um, like old Homer Simpson. But our thoughts are a little bit different. eh? Um, The next slide is actually just a, a picture of neurons firing through our brains. And these 70, 50,000 thoughts a day are part of many other processes and God knows every intricate detail because he designed it. And he knows everything that's going on inside our minds at the moment. And he knows it. But what does that mean? So Psalm 139, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter, but this specific part about God knowing our thinking, it says... God, you know when I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. I don't even have to say it. He knows. You know? And it can either be something that's so scary, (laughs) like, oh, God knows. Or it could be something that's so liberating, like, wow, God knows. You know, And I have those moments where if I've been through a specific situation, I'll touch on one of them in a story just now. When I see somebody else who really knows, it's freeing. I can sit there and open up. I can say, wow, okay, you get it. But God knows. And he wants to invite us into a space to say, actually, I know anyway. So why not just be free? So another verse, 1 Chronicles 28.9 says, Serve God with a willing mind. He understands every intent of our thoughts. 
So he's actually calling us and saying, have a mind that is willing to serve him. Because not just our thinking, but our intention, our purpose behind what we do, he knows that too. So we can't con God. We can't hide things. We have to just be who we are in front of him. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, Oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. So I want to invite you in this place that God knows our thoughts to not feel condemned, to not feel brought down and say, actually, this is terrible, but to be free because he knows your thoughts, but he's intimately in love with you and intimately wanting to be in relationship with you. And we're going to get to that in our response to him knowing every part of our thoughts. Second part, it goes a little bit deeper now. God knows our heart. So I wanted to put a picture of a heart, but then I thought, uh, a heart is kind of, what is it? <laughs> but it's almost like the depths of who we are, beyond our thinking. He knows the depths of who we are as individuals. It's incredible. No, no one else knows our heart. But God knows our heart. Psalm 44 verse 20 says, If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. It's, he's so intimately knowing us. It's beyond what we can imagine. Like looking at those stars and he knows everything. He's looking inside of our hearts and he knows everything. Nothing surprises him. I don't go out today and do something. He's like, oh dear, <laughs> I wasn't thinking he was going to do that. He knows. But he's calling us into a different space where actually life doesn't have to be a particular way. It can be so much greater. 2 Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So he knows a heart, but he's looking, who are those hearts that are for me? that are looking out for me, that are wanting more of me. You have acted foolishly in this indeed from now on, you will surely have wars. So God wants our hearts devoted to him. And where are our innermost being, us as individuals, the core of who we are, is it all his? And he knows the secrets. Psalm 139 again, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. David cries out to God. He says, Search me, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. There's heart, there's thoughts. Again, he's calling out to God to do that. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And they called David a man after God's own heart. He messed up many times. He had affairs. He, did, he, he messed up. Okay? But he's shouting out to God and God saw that and said, you're after my own heart. Why? Because you're actually saying, my thoughts and my heart is yours. You know me, but show me, lead me. Number three, God knows my cry. So even at this innermost, you've got my thinking, you've got my innermost being, but you've got my cry. He knows my cry. It could be a cry of anger, <laughs> but it could be a cry of distress. He knows my cry. So, particularly on this know my cry, this is a scripture that I want to go to in a second. Um, it's, it's Psalm verses 18. So I'd love for you actually, if you've got your Bibles to turn there, it's a little bit of a longer scripture. But four weeks ago, yesterday, 
uh, I became a father. I have to uh, gloat a bit and show you the picture. There we go. This is beautiful. So that is little Amy Michaela Commamond. Uh, Amy for short. <laughs> and yeah, she's a beauty. And I realized that even four weeks into being a father for the first time, I really know my child's cry. Like, I know when this is a nappy cry, or when this is a, I'm just talking very loudly and moaning because I don't know how to speak yet, you know. And I know when it's actually a, a, a wind cry, and you have to go pat her back, or you have to dance or do something. And you can hear the differences. And the differences create a different response from me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, no, that's just a noisy cry. Now you're just talking. I can take my time. But some of them, I'm there, okay? And you learn your child's cry. It's beautiful. It just happens, okay? And your fathers, mothers know the story about knowing your child's cry. And the beautiful thing is that God does the same. So I'm 18, but I'm going to start in verses 6. And we've got a bit of reading here, but I'm just going to stay on this slide for a moment. It says, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So God hears our cry. He hears our voice. It doesn't go unheard. But sometimes what we do is we cry out to God and nothing happens. And we get frustrated. And we say, God, you didn't hear my cry. The word says he heard, he hears our cries. Sometimes we might not see how God responds. Because like I know now with Amy, she's, ma. there's one that goes, ma. That ma one is, I'm just talking, okay? I'm not going to respond to that one. There's one that sounds like a lamb, and it goes, meh. Really, it does. That means I want food. I'm going to respond to that one, okay? But some of them, I hear it, but my way of responding might not be what is expected, and sometimes we have to realize that. We have to trust that God hears our cries, but he's not going to respond exactly like we may think he will. So I've been in business and, and organizations in sort of leadership development for the last 10 years. And I had this amazing privilege in November last year, after seven years, uh, second in charge of an organization across four, four countries, to... Get headhunted, and I was like, "Oh, jeez, Lord, what are you doing here?" You know, somebody's asking me to move over. These German philanthropists had come to me, and they said we would like you to come to our organisation and and head it up. We'll create a new role for you, chief operations officer. Jeez, it sounded amazing. We will pay for your studies. We will do the works. And my seven years uh, at Alan Gray, Orbis came to an end because this was just an opportunity too good to be true. I was like, wow, thank you, Jesus. I do not have to travel anymore. I'm Western Cape based. It sounded amazing. And I went for it and we were testifying. Everything's amazing. And I started there in November. And everything went well. Some challenges as normal, but that's, my goal was to try and fix things and work forward for this organization. And come the 4th of January, I get back from a very short break ready to hit the year, and my boss, the CEO, who's been there for eight years, she gets retrenched. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that just came out of the blue. The founders were down. She lost her job. She didn't come back to the office. So I was like, okay, well, sure. 
interesting stuff. I'm going to take over this team now. You know, something's going to shift. Great, let me keep going. Two hours later, I get an email. I've been retrenched. Now, seven years committed to an organization. They know you. Everything's great. Future's there. You move thinking, wow, this is amazing. And my wife's four months pregnant at the time. And I get that letter. And that letter says, sorry, but we're not going to be able to employ you any longer. And this happened in January. I worked until the end of January. And from January up until the end of May, and baby was due at the end of June, four weeks ago, um, nothing. Literally every single day I cried out to God. Every single day I applied. I must have applied for a thousand jobs. I got one interview, wasn't successful. Every day I tried and just nothing happened. But I cried and I cried and I called out to God. And the crazy thing is that God really revealed himself to me. He showed me that he was listening even though I wasn't seeing. And he gave me a peace and a trusting in him like I've never experienced before in my life. And I want to say today specifically, if you've been crying out to God, he might respond very differently to what you think he will respond. Because he knows what's best, but he's with you. He's standing with you, he's walking with you, he hears the cry, and he is responding. Just now might not be how you think. So if we look at Psalm 18, verses 6, it says, In my distress I called to the Lord, He heard my cry. It then goes on and it says actually what he does when he hears our cry. Go on to the next side. It says, after he heard my cry, the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry because I was crying. I was hurt. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. Very, very frightening. Now, that part particularly is, just, is terrifying. But that's God's response to our cry. Now, when, David, you know, when this cry was made, I might not see this. I might not know it's happening. But God hears our cry and he responds. But we might not see it yet. So, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he rooted them. The valleys of the seas were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord at the blast of a breath from your nostrils. Then he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And it's easy for us to jump in and say, God rescued me, he supports me, he does this. But that in-between part where God responds, we don't always see. And he calls us to just believe that he does respond, believe that he does hear our cry. And his ways and answers 
are the best. And to add on to that, it's the truth is that God knows the end of the story. You know, right there when God responded, he knew what was going to happen. I didn't. Okay. He knows the end. And it's pleasing to know that God is in the future already. He, he knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows the outcome of the challenge that I'm going through. He knows the outcome of the, the piece of life that I'm really struggling with and I can't manage to sort out. He knows the outcome, but he wants to be a part of that outcome with you. And he wants to hear that cry from you. Sometimes we sit there and we say, no, forget it. I'm going to tackle this by myself. But he knows what that end looks like and, and he's completely in control. Um, he knows the end. And for me, that played out very interestingly um, in that it was only, it was four, well, one month to due date. <laughs> one month to due date. And no work, really starting to get stressed. There's bonds, there's all these different things. My wife's starting to get worried and I literally just clicked on a LinkedIn job post and, and from that God just started moving. And within four days after clicking, I managed to realize that the organization that I clicked for is an organization where actually at the time I was doing a little bit of part-time work for a different part and the person who heads up that part was a member of this organization and I phoned him and I said, who can I speak to? And he said, no, I speak to this lady, Linda. So I phone up Linda and I say, Linda, I'd love to talk. She says, no, I speak to Vivian. So I'm like, okay. So I phone up Vivian. I said, Vivian, I'd like to talk. Vivian says, great, let's Skype. And for two hours, we had the Skype about this job that I just clicked a button for. And then she says to me, she says, she's, it's, this sounds like it's a really good fit for you. This is my job that I've been promoted, and it's actually my job that's available. And she starts telling me more about it. And I said, look, I'm really grateful to God for this opportunity, but the hour's ticking for me. How long is this process going to be to, to apply and go through everything? I can't wait longer. She said, well, I need to step into my new role so as soon as possible. And literally, that afternoon, I get an email from somebody in London, and the person in London says, the first person, Linda, who you phoned, emailed him and said, oh, I just spoke to this guy. I really think you can just fast-track it and email him because I would recommend him. And oh, here's my thumb. so I really think you should email him, and, and, and Linda did. Um, and this guy, Antoine, gets hold of me, and then he's very like, he says, do you mind if we actually have an interview tomorrow? And I'm like, you know, fine. What are you doing the next? I'm, I'm not doing anything, you know. And the amazing thing is that from that day, within three days, I had a signed contract that wanted me to start the following week on the Monday. And that's God, you know. And that's God in the space where five months ago I cried out to him, and for five months I saw nothing. But he was doing something the whole time. And we've got story after story. We have to realize that God is there and he knows our cry. He knows our heart. Um, and he comes through in a way that just blows our minds. Absolutely. So one of the things that God knows about the end is that God knows the very end. You know, it says that God is going to return for all of us. <laughs> um, and not even Jesus knows the day or the hour of when God will return. So there's some things that God knows about the end that we will never know. 
But sometimes we just have to accept that He knows. Okay? Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9, and it's been a big thing for me in the last five months. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God's saying. Neither are your ways my ways. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We might not be thinking the same. God's way might be completely different. But how do we just learn to know that He is God and He knows our innermost everything? And He knows our cry and He is responding. We just have to trust that how He responds may be different to what we expect. Okay? So how do we respond to this? God knows our thoughts. God knows our heart and our innermost type of who we are. He knows our cry. He hears it. He responds. But God also knows the details and knows the end. And I feel that today is calling us into a few places to respond. The first one is He gives us the Word of God. He gives us the Bible. And for a step for us to take is to read the Word of God. All these scriptures that we've just read tell us about who God is. And they tell us truth. So it's a matter of actually just saying, Lord, in response to this bigness of how you know everything, you know everything about me, my first step to getting to know you <laughs> is, yeah, it's, we've got this opportunity. We've got pages and pages of who he is right here. And the opportunities there every day. How do we step into that? Because the scripture in there says, Romans 8 verses 12, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's easy to say, God, what's your will? What should I do here? I'm stuck. I'm crying out to you. What should I do? But my thinking is sitting there anxious. My thinking is sitting there in a different space. And God says the first thing, remember, he knows my thoughts, but he gives me a tool, the word of God, to change my thoughts and to align my thoughts to his thoughts because this is what the word does. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, it says, we demolish, not we, not we play, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So anything in our lives thoughts and in our heart that goes against who God is, the knowledge of God, us knowing God, demolish with this, with the truth that's in you. So God knows the ugly, he knows the bad, but he has given us something because he doesn't want us to stay with the ugly and the bad in the thoughts, in our hearts, and even in our cries. Hebrews 4 verses 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So again, wherever we are, good, bad, and ugly, God knows it. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to say, okay, Lord, you know it. <laughs> but I believe your word wants to change it. And God wants to do something in our hearts and in our thoughts. Second point in our response is the word of God wants to change us, but we have to take a step and learn to trust God. My own personal story, and it's part and parcel of the story for the last five months, is I trusted God, but I still try to make sure I've got everything covered myself. 
And there's nothing wrong with working hard and, and making plans and plan B's and plan C's. <clears throat> but again, God knows our heart. And my heart was actually, God, I, I'm making up the plans here and I'm making sure that I don't end up in a space of lacking because I am, because I am, not because He is. Something shifted in the last five months big time. I put money, I put career, and pursuing career and striving for career above God, you know? And to say, like, I am going to be finding something, I'm going to be doing something, I learned very quickly that it's God's. Everything. Money, what we have, relationships, God gives it. And God straight away asks us to respond with a different heart. And for the first time, I often, even when it came to tithing, when it came to things like that, I was inside of my heart, something wasn't right. But I realized that actually I trust God. <laughs> actually, everything I've been given is because of Him. And whether it's little or much, He's called me to be obedient. He's called me to do this because it's part of this journey of trust. And a part of the space is saying, God, you know everything and you're in control. I might not see it, but you are. That's what he calls us to do. So on that, there's a scripture in Psalms, again saying, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, so some trust in BMWs, some trust in their wallets. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Okay? Nothing wrong with the other things, but when it sets himself up higher than God and the love of that's more than God, God says, no, 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 your trust must be in me. So Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, it's a beautiful scripture. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own thinking, your own understanding. Don't lean onto your own knowings. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So what this is really saying, acknowledge, a root word is know. In all your ways, know who God is and He will direct your path. Don't sit there and say, God knows your heart, He knows your thinking, now actually step up and start knowing Him. Let that be the journey, because that's what He wants, and with that, once you know the character, and that's the beauty of this God is series, every Sunday, go back to the, the previous recordings, we're learning a new character, we're being reminded of a new character of God. And when we're sitting there and our cry is this, who is God within that cry? And how do we go back to that part? And not sit with our thoughts and our heart in that space. Because he knows it already. He's calling us to acknowledge and know who he is in our life. And he will direct our paths. And the last point, which is that, is we're on a journey of just knowing God. We need to trust him, but in all our ways we need to know him. And who he is in response. God has given us the ability, through him loving us so much that he sent Jesus to die. And then to be risen again, now seated on the throne at the right hand side of God, so that we will have access to know God. He's given us this beautiful access. So it says that the Holy Spirit even makes us aware of the secrets of God. It's beautiful. So as much as we see this God that knows all the stars and knows our innermost being and knows our thoughts and knows everything, He invites us to know Him and to know everything about Him. He wants us to know Him. And Jesus, in his prayer to God about us, in John 17, I mean, it says that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. So whoever 
will receive him, will have eternal life. But he says now that this is eternal life, that we may know him. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So eternal life isn't just about, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to... No, God's saying, actually, I would do everything to such an extent. I know you so much that I would come down and I will go through a treacherous death like no other. I will take on all your thoughts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'll take down every intention of your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'll put it onto my son, whom I love, on a cross so that you can know me. And you can have access to, to me, this big God, who knows every part about you. And those three things are the key areas that I think we just need to respond to, particularly. Is that we all sit there, and the first part is, God knows everything. So one of the responses in our hearts may be, actually, I've been hiding. Actually, I've been sitting there, and there's so much in my life that I've... I've I can't tell God that. I, I can't let this out the bag. I've been lying about this for years. I can't bring it up because actually everything will fall apart. God knows. And God calls us to actually just bring it. It says, cast your burdens onto him. Just give it over because he knows it anyway and he wants to bring you into freedom. So that's the first part is he wants you to just let it out and say, this is everything. Why? Because he knows it already. But he wants to have you change. And he wants to change your thoughts, change your heart. And then you may be sitting there and you're saying, okay, well, I'm struggling on this journey of trust. I know you, Lord, but I don't know if I can trust this big thing. You're not responding. How do we learn to trust him more? How do we learn just to know that he's heard our cry and that he's a part of it and continue to obey and pursue him? And then lastly, how do we get this hunger, Lord, to know you more? To not take lightly what happened 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't just for me to feel good and say, I'm going to heaven, but it's actually a space for me to say, wow, God's given me access to know him as much as he knows me. And that's how much he cares and that's how much he loves me. And I'd love for us just, yeah, just to pray particularly for those three parts. So if everyone can just close their eyes. If in any of those parts, you know, just the first part, Lord, Lord, we bring every person, Father God, who's maybe been sitting and hiding things, hiding things into closets, hiding things away from family members, coming into church and, and putting on a different coat to try and be somebody, but they know deep down inside that there, there's parts of them that, that that they don't love. There's the bad, there's the ugly in their thoughts, in their core of who they are, in their hearts. And it's stopping them, Lord, for becoming more like you, for being free. We thank you, Lord, that your word says that because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are now slaves to righteousness. There's nothing that we can do except be righteous because, Jesus, you gave it all for us. And we have the ability now to just lay everything bare because you know it anyway. And you want to set us free, Lord God. And if there are people, particularly with that, that there's just stuff and you're wanting freedom, I'd just love for you very boldly, Just we're going to have everybody standing up at different points, but just to stand up and say, Lord, you know it. 
but I'm now standing up and I'm actually realizing that you know it and realizing that you're an amazing father and you want to draw me and pick me up because you've heard my cry and you want to support me and you want to love me and you want to make me more like Jesus because you desire for me to know you. So in the room, there's people with those hidden spaces and you're tired of it and you now want freedom. Bring it to God and he will set you free from those bondages and from those spaces. So if you feel comfortable and you're wanting the freedom, it says in the scriptures that for we can now stand confidently, walk confidently into the throne room of God because that's the access he's given us to him. If that is you, take the bold step and stand. I don't want you to leave here today knowing and feeling like you have to carry on hiding because you don't. Then secondly, for those who are battling with trust. You've cried out to God, but you're holding everything yourself and you will not let go because you don't really believe that God is responding. You don't really believe that God loves you dearly and that he is going to take action. And you're trusting in everything else. The word of God says, trust in the Lord and do not lean onto your own knowing. In all your ways, know who he is and he'll direct your paths. And if that's you and you feel, I'm needing more trust in you, God, just to stand as of, because God wants to take you on a journey, and he wants to show you that he's faithful, he wants to show you that he is trustworthy, and he is there. And I want you to go back again and again to Psalm 18. And what is your cry? I want you to cry out to God. <laughs> he even remembers our words of anger toward him. That's fine. Shout to him, cry out to him, and he will hear your cry and picture this God getting off his throne, making everything move, thunder, clouds, this big thing, because that's his response to your cry. In reality, you might not see it right now, but his timing is perfect. <coughs> and the last part is that God wants us to know him. And for some of us, I mean, we may be Christians for ages, and... Yet, do we truly know God? Do we truly know who He is? And if you feel like I've been messing around and I don't really know you, God. I know of you. I know the stuff in my head. But like Wally was saying earlier on, how does that stuff in my head actually sink into my heart and I get a revelation of who you are, God? And there may be specific things in your life that you're sitting with at the moment. Do you know God within that thing? Because if you're going through depression, you need to know that God is the joy of my salvation. If you're going through uh, struggles, you know that God is my provider. If you're sick, you know that God is my healer. And knowing God in your circumstance is what he's calling us closer to, to knowing specific characteristics of him. If your desire is to know him, do this as well.